Well, if you recall, as we began last week, we're teaching in the first three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Peter addresses head-on the issue of false teachers. He's been, throughout chapter 1, he was focusing on our sufficiency in Christ, our sufficiency in the Word of God. The fact that we have the Word of God, we can trust in it. We don't need anything else. It's not made up. It's reliable. It's not fairy tales. It's truth. The apostles witnessed it. The prophets were inspired by God when they wrote it. We can believe it. But then that was really a lead-in to the heart of his issue. He's concerned about false teachers leading the church astray. And as we began to talk last week, I said chapter 2 really divides up into basically three parts. And the first three verses really summarize everything that will follow. And then the, the verses that follow elaborate on these issues, but the underlying thing is to be on the alert for false teachers to know where they're coming from, to know what their devices are, so that we can see them, and if we see them, we run away. Or we rebuke them, depending on the circumstance. So, as we began this, I really divided it up into four characteristics of false teachers, and we began to cover the first characteristic last week. Now, I believe I can get through the rest of it, but normally I have ten pages of notes, just from a reference standpoint on my iPad, I know 10 pages of notes is normal teaching. I think I've got 14 or 15 this morning, which is why I wanted to start a little bit sooner. Uh, Sometimes I can skip things, and so I may finish ahead of time anyway, but there's a lot of material here, and I'm going to try and go through it as best I can. But to start, I'm going to read again the first three verses, which again summarize the entire chapter. And then I'm going to briefly review what we covered last week, and then I'm going to jump right in, finish point number one, and then try and cover the rest of the points. So, follow along. I read from the New American Standard, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And as I laid this out last week, I really broke it down into four characteristics of false teachers. And we began covering the first characteristic last week, and finish it today. That characteristic is deception. Deception. And Peter began this verse by referencing back to what he was just talking about. He was just talking about how we got the Old Testament. The prophetic word came about by men who spoke from God. It wasn't their own will. It wasn't their own desires. In the time of the nation of Israel, under the Old Covenant, God spoke through these individuals to record Scripture. And Peter's simply making a contrast. Just as those people, the people of Israel, God's chosen people... There was truth spoken and false prophets rose up. He says, that's going to happen now. There will also be false teachers among you. And as he talks about this, part of the deception is the fact that they're among you. In other words, these aren't people outside that are throwing rocks at the church. You can read about those people. I read an article within the last two weeks of someone saying, you know, we don't need more religious people. We need more atheists. Well, those people are outside there. You can see them for what they are. 
false teachers are among you, meaning they're within the church, meaning they're claiming to be part of the team. They're claiming to be believers. That's a deception right there. They don't advertise that, hey, I'm, I'm a heretic, come follow me. They pretend to be just what we are, but they're not. They're disguised. They sneak in. They come into our midst and we don't even necessarily recognizing it. And it says they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They do it covertly, stealthily. They smuggle in the error so that you don't even know that it's happening. The contraband of false teaching is in the church before you even know it because they didn't wave a banner to say, look what I'm doing. They disguised it. It looked like everything else. They did it slyly without notice. They add in a new teaching here. They add a new interpretation of the scripture there. They give you permission to do something that you thought was not okay, but they make it clear to you, it's okay, go ahead. These are destructive heresies. They slip in and they put it there. It's not innocent. It's not neutral. It's against the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's not the truth. And it destroys anyone who listens to it and patterns their life after it. I quickly covered at the end of last week, it's happening all over the place with homosexuality and gender. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Well, no, 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 He didn't really. No, 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 that's not it. On and on it goes. It happens with every issue of life. It's deceptive and it's enticing and it's deadly. So that's a very quick, as quick as I ever do, summary of what we covered last week. That just briefly brings us up to speed. But he says this, he gives us a type of the heretical behavior can be teaching, but it's also behavior. He says, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now, we have to be careful because of that phrase, denying the master who bought them. That's caused some people to run into all kinds of error. Again, the big picture here, I think, is easy to explain, and we don't want to lose sight of that. In fact, one of the things that's going to happen is these false teachers are going to be held accountable by God. That's a whole separate point, my fourth point. But he's basically saying these people are going to slip in, they're going to teach lies. And he says one of the things they'll do is they'll even deny the master who bought them. The denial of Jesus is part of the destructive heresy, but it occurs in a couple of ways. Certainly, they teach false things about Jesus. That happens all the time. It happens in Mormonism. It happens with Jehovah's Witnesses. They use a lot of the same words. They'll grab the Bible, but they're distorting who Jesus is. If you talk to someone who's Muslim, they have a high reverence for Jesus. He's a prophet. But he's not the Messiah. He didn't die on a cross for sins. So there's a certain element where they deny Jesus in any number of ways. It happens a lot in churches now with people who minimize what Jesus actually did. They turn him in to a charismatic teacher. Somebody that we ought to listen to on the big things. But he's not God. He didn't die for the sins of the world. He was just a martyr 
heroically giving us an example. All of these things can be part of the destructive heresies. And they can be a denial of Jesus. But what causes the challenge here is the denial of Jesus who bought them. It's interesting. Quite often with a false teacher, if you ask them questions, they might answer the questions correctly about Jesus. They know enough of what's in the Bible. I've always been fascinated by the fact that the demons have perfect theology. They're going to be judged for all eternity, but their theology is right. In Luke 4, 33 and 34, this is the type of thing I'm talking about. In the synagogues, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yet they denied Jesus. They didn't worship Him. They followed Satan against Him in rebellion. And they will be judged for all eternity. There's a sense in which false teachers certainly can teach wrong doctrine about Jesus, but some false teachers deny Jesus even though they would pay lip service to what the Bible says. They deny Jesus with their lives. But again, it's the issue of the heart, and I want to tie in here because it's all going to come back to that phrase, who bought them. But also it matters what they call Jesus. Peter says they deny the Master. The Master is the Sovereign Lord of the universe. Jesus, the King of Kings. 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Peter says master, that's what he's talking about. And so if we think about it, this is a human being claiming to speak for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet he denies them at the same time. What does a servant owe the master? It's obedience. To do what the master says. There's a fascinating account in Matthew 8, verses 8 and 9, where a Roman centurion needed Jesus to heal someone in his household. The centurion said, and Jesus was going to go there, and the centurion said this, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. The reality is, is that's what every follower of Jesus Christ owes him in terms of allegiance. He is the master. He is the sovereign. And if we claim to be bought by his blood, then we should obey him. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In fact, I won't read the entirety of it, but Jesus and... Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49, familiar story of someone in the house on the rock and the house on the sand. But he introduces it by this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So I think false teachers certainly teach false doctrine about Jesus, perhaps distorting who he is, but they also deny him with their lives because they say 
deceptively and lyingly, he's my master, and then they disobey him. This isn't talking about like Peter where once he turned away. We've all failed at times. This is a pattern and a lifestyle that says, I'm not going to do what the master says. Again, this just points out the deception. They're liars. They claim to be his followers, but then they want nothing to do with obedience to him. And again, that word who bought them is what caused the problem because we are bought with the blood of Jesus. So this becomes a challenging statement. It says, even denying the master who bought them, and it's like, well, did he really buy them? Peter used those words. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, you were bought with a price. In fact, that, is, that section, 1 Corinthians 7, beginning verse 22, For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman, likewise he who was also called while free is Christ's slave, you were bought with a price. In other words, we're owned. So if that false teacher is really bought, it would mean they were a believer, but then are they losing their salvation? Well, that doesn't make sense because Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. We don't get a chance to do it ourselves. John 10.27-30 makes it clear, You don't lose your salvation. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Peter is not contradicting this clear teaching of Scripture, and he's not saying these are actual real believers who suddenly turned away. Rather, he's taking them at their word and pointing out the fallacy in their words. In other words, they claim to be bought by Jesus. They claim to be a part of it, but he says, look, they don't even... Follow the master who bought them. They may claim this, but it's all a lie. It's false. It's not true. They claim to be bought, but you can see by their lives they're not really bought because they're denying that master. They're along the lines of 1 John 2.19 in a sense. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so it would be shown that they all are not of us. In other words, there are some people within the church who turn out not really to be believers. The wheat and the tares, as Jesus identifies it. So at its core, these false teachers are truly apostates in the sense of they claim to be a part of the body of Christ and yet they deny the very master that they claim to serve. They are evil. They reject Jesus' authority over them. They deny Him by their lives. And God will cause destruction to fall upon them. He says, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the fact that these false teachers who are not believers are going to be judged and God's going to hold them account they're going to be the type of people where Jesus said every careless word that's uttered is noticed by God. These teachers will be held to account. James warns that for teachers there will be a stricter judgment. These men and women will be held to account. He says bringing swift destruction upon themselves. In other words, their life and their falsity and their deception is really just heaping up the wrath of God. Swift destruction doesn't mean that they're going to immediately drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira. What it means is one moment they're going to be among the people of the living and the next, when they enter into eternity, it will hit them the full weight of what they've done. 
there'll be those, no doubt, who lie and will be in front of Jesus going, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we do this in your name? And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. That's who these false teachers are. So we got to be careful because they're deceptive. That's the first characteristic. Deception. Everything they do is designed to misdirect. It's not exactly the same and it's not in my notes, but have you ever seen one of those really good, what we call magicians? I remember one, the guy was so good at distracting that while he was talking to a man, the man was wearing a tie, and they have the video of it, he took the tie off of the man, untied it and took it off, and the man never knew. Why? Because there were so much distractions going on, and because of all the other touching the elbow and everything, that's what false teachers are doing. <laughs> they're, trying to, they're trying to get you. So beware of the deception. The second characteristic of false teachers is this, immorality. Immorality. The first characteristic is deception. The second is immorality. And this one we have to look at a little bit. In fact, when I was first reading this, if you saw my study notes, I was a little not quite certain what was going on. It had to do with the way the pronouns were connected. But it makes a lot of sense, and I'll walk through it quickly. Perhaps you don't have the same confusion I had. Verse 2 says this, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. Again, I think the statement is straightforward, but I was a little confused because I see many, and I have write myself a note, who's that? And then I see there. Okay, well, who's that? Many will follow there. And I can tell you, when I first looked at this, I thought that was the same people. But it's not the same people. Many will follow their sensuality. Again, I thought initially looking at it, many people will follow their own sensuality. And so I was not quite sure. But the reality is it's painting a different picture. Many is referring to the people in the church. It's just referring to Christians in the body of Christ. And there is referring to the false teachers. So the many are the people in the church, and the T-H-E-I-R there are the false teachers. So knowing that, and the context makes that clearer once you look at it, the English language doesn't do it as clearly to me, but what it's basically saying, many people in the church will follow the false teachers in their example of sensuality. So Peter is in essence saying these false teachers are going to have followers. They're going to have disciples. He's warning us about this. We don't want to do this because he's saying if you follow them, you'll be like them. And one of the characteristics of them is their sensuality. And sensuality, as that term is used here, is referring to unrestrained sexual immorality. Again, not a fall, not a King David with Bathsheba, a moment of sin. It's talking about a lifestyle of unrestrained sexual immorality. In other words, there are no limits. Do what you want to do. That's the example of these false teachers, according to Peter. In fact, I think it's part of the denial of the master by the fact that they disregard God's principles for sexuality. It's picturing the complete absence of sexual restraint. We're going to see later in the chapter when we discuss, there's a reference to Sodom and Lot and some of the same nomenclature there. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean sexual 
immorality and the homosexual variety only. But in the context, it's just talking about people who say there's no limits. Do what you want to do no matter what. God created the sexual relationship. He created the male and female. And part of the issue is to become one flesh. That includes, it's not only, but it includes the sexual relationship. And so God puts a limit on the sexual activity of His creatures. It's supposed to occur within the bounds of marriage. One man, one woman. There's great freedom within those confines to have a sexual relationship. But outside of one man and one woman, it's all prohibited. And the false teachers are telling a different story. Look, you don't understand. Go ahead. Indulge yourself. You can do this. In fact, those false teachers will, by nature, indulge their sexual appetite such that people will see their example and go, Okay, I can do that. Over and over, the New Testament warned about sexual immorality. Because it's part of the fall and part of the sinful nature is that everything that God created for good, sin distorts and perverts. It was happening throughout the Old Testament. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. It wasn't the only time. The Israelites sinned over and over again sexually. But the New Testament warns about it over and over in the church. In Jude, again, there's only one chapter in Jude, but Jude, verses 3 and 4, and we've alluded to some of this, but one of the warnings in there is about ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Later on in verse 18, he refers to those in the last times following after their own ungodly lusts. Again, Paul warned, it's actually the first verses I ever taught in the Bible, way back when in Fresno, California in a Sunday school class, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 6. Actually, I taught, I think, through verse 9. But in verse 6, it says, talking about false teachers, verse 5, it says, avoid such men as these, verse 6, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. In other words... Some of the false teachers will spend their time visiting the ladies and distorting things. They'll instruct people that the old rules are limiting them. God doesn't want you to deny yourself. That's what we were talking about last week, what Andy Stanley said. Well, they read the Bible, but they decide they can't. It's not sustainable to do what God says, so they just do what they want to do. And that's okay, according to him. No. If you ever see any teaching that says, look, it's okay. Indulge your sin. God doesn't want you to hamper yourself. It's dangerous to deny yourself. It's a false teacher. Run away from them because they're following their own sensuality and they'll lead you to the same destruction if you're not careful. Later on in this chapter, he'll describe it this way. It's the same issue. Verse 18 and 19 of Second Peter 2. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man has overcome, by this he is enslaved. 
The outcome is not only God's judgment for these false teachers, but such lies and debauchery damage the testimony of the church. Many will follow their sensuality. In other words, many in the church will be like their teachers who are false, indulging in all types of sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. In other words, the testimony of everyone else is damaged by these people who indulge their sexual appetites and act like God doesn't care. The way of truth is really talking about the Christian walk, the gospel lifestyle, the gospel message. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the point is this, immorality in the church cast a wider net. I don't go a week where there's not someone from some sect that falls into immorality. Happens over and over and over again. That doesn't mean that there aren't also legitimate pastors who fall into immorality. David was a man after God's own heart, and his heart was inflamed with lust for Bathsheba, and he sinned horribly. So much so that God wound up taking the life of the child produced by that relationship. But you see over and over and over again, particularly in Christian cults, they normally start out claiming to be regular teachers and the next thing you know they have a following and the end result of the following is that the guy is sleeping with everybody else. Happened with Jim Jones that turned into the craziness in, in Jonestown, but he started out as just a guy that had a following. David Koresh was doing the same thing in Waco. Warren Jeffs, that sect of distortion of Mormonism was doing the same thing. It's always been the case. Came to my mind, and so I looked up the verse, First Samuel 2, 22. Now Eli, he was a prophet, was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Ministry seems to breed the opportunity for sexual immorality. That shouldn't be the case. Certainly any legitimate teacher should flee from sexual immorality. That's what Scripture tells us all to do. But it happens over and over. I remember when I was in Fresno and I was getting ready to leave the church and go to seminary. I was talking to the main pastor who since has passed away. But he told me you've got to look out for three things. Every pastor has to look out for three things. He said you've got to look out for pride. Well that makes sense. That was Satan's downfall. He would tempt with pride. He said, you've got to look out for money, and we're about to get there in point three. And he said, you've got to look out for sexual temptation. Those bring down pastors over and over again. But the false teachers aren't fighting against it. In fact, they're taking advantage of the opportunity that ministry provides to bring these people in. The number of cases I've read where it started out with uh, this pastor's counseling the wife who was having a bad marriage. And I don't have to read any further. I know where it's going. They're preying on the vulnerable. They find weak women. The problem is, women are sinners too. And there's sin everywhere. Be careful. When you hear a pastor saying, God didn't really mean what he said about sexual immorality, don't restrain yourself. Do the best you can, but go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Run away. Run away. So four characteristics of 
false teachers. First is deception. Second is immorality. Third is greed. The third characteristic of false teachers is greed. In fact, most of the commentators I read on said read on this said this is actually the primary motivator. The sexual immorality is an aspect of it, but this at its core is what's driving the false teachers. Verse 3, very straightforward. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Again, this is still the deception. The false teachers have false words. But it all comes down to the proper view of money. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And what Peter's saying is wealth is what drives these individuals. It's their greed and desire for more and more money. They're serving wealth, not God. Their greed is just that. It's a desire for more and more and more. And in this context and how it's used, it's not talking about anything other than the desire for more money, material things. You have to be very careful here. Because the false teachers take advantage of an aspect of Scripture which is that pastors are entitled to earn a living from the work. First. Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So a false teacher understands that biblically it's not wrong for a church to compensate a pastor. We understand that. that nothing wrong with a pastor drawing a paycheck. Paul, if you recall Pastor Steve's message in 1 Corinthians, at one point for, decided not to take what was his due because of another point. But there's nothing wrong with a pastor drawing a salary. That's not what's condemned. What's condemned is that that's the only motivation for the person doing what they're doing. For time's sake, I won't read all of it, but you can write down the reference. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. And he's talking about false teachers and, and error coming into the church. But he mentions men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gains. In other words, they're figuring out, I can make money in the church. Which leads to this in verse 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the truth. This is the crux of the issue for these individuals. They've pierced themselves with many griefs because they want more and more and more. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to part you from your money. Again, in Colossians 3, 5, we're told that this is idolatry. It's a list of sins there, but including greed, which amounts to idolatry. A pastor who's motivated by money is in it for himself, not for the people. Jesus even gave the illustration of the contrast. 
John chapter 10, verses 11 13. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. But Peter, in essence, says this kind of pastor is terrible because not only is he not caring for the sheep, he's stealing from the sheep. They will exploit you with false words. In other words, they'll say whatever they have to say to get you to write a check, to get you to reach into your pocket and pull out money. They are the dishonest used car salesmen of the church. What's it going to take for us to sign the paperwork today? I'm not a world traveler. God's given me the privilege to go a lot of places. In comparison to some people, I've gone nowhere. In comparison to others, I've been a lot. But there's a fascinating thing I've seen. Everywhere I've gone in the world, there have been references on mission trips. There have been Christians of some sort that are at least known. First place I ever went was to Kiev, Ukraine back in 2003. But this happened in Nigeria. It happens in Central America. America has exported Christianity around the world. The problem is, the most dominant export is the Christianity tied to money. So the biggest church in Kiev was led by a disciple of Benny Hinn, getting all the money. When you go to Nigeria, it's fascinating. Some of the wealthiest pastors in the world I mean hundreds of millions of dollars are in Nigeria. Why? Because they learned from Benny Hinn. I would not tell you to do it, but just this week, it's so blasphemous, it's insane. I was watching a pastor on YouTube that God spoke to him while he was flying on his private jet that he needed a bigger private jet. Then the other pastor, and the two people, it was Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis. I can use their names because they put it on the internet. Kenneth Copeland interrupted because he also has his own jets. He actually flies them himself. When I was in seminary, he was asking for more money to get a bigger plane. But Jesse was saying that I was on the plane talking and the pilot was wondering what's going on. And I was on my plane and I was talking to God, which is blasphemy. No, he wasn't. And God was saying, you've got to believe for this bigger jet. And then Kenneth Copeland's like, well, and you couldn't do that on a commercial airline. You couldn't have that conversation with God. So it's good that you had your... It's like... Ah. But every day, people are sending them countless dollars over and over again. In fact, if you ever look, and it's, it's a horrific but they're passing jets between ministries. Because I'm big enough now that I'll get a bigger jet. You can have my old jet. Give me money. There was some telethon for a big jet that one of the guys was doing. And another guy with the ministry said, We're, well, we believe, yes, God's doing this. So here's 100,000 for our ministry towards that jet. Guess what he's doing? He's using false words so that he can get money on the other side for his jet. That's what's being perpetrated around the world. And it finds favor with people who are desperate. Pastors with bigger airplanes, fancier cars, bigger houses, nice everything. They're not staying at the Marriott or the Holiday Inn. They're staying in luxury $10,000 plus a night places. And I'm not exaggerating. 
And they're in America and Africa, Central America, South America, Asia, anywhere on the globe. The only place that I know of they, that they aren't is Antarctica. And one of them will figure out a way to get there soon enough. If there's a nickel there, they'll get it. Here's the point. These people are fleecing God's people all the time and we have to be careful. One of the things I always like is Pastor Steve doesn't talk about money. We're not having a telethon all the time. Once in a while, we talk about a legitimate need. But that's not the motivation of Lakeside. You can tell by our facilities. But greed drives a lot of false teachers. And they'll say anything to part you from your money. And they're good. But the end result of all of this is not as positive as it seems. While they're here, they may be prosperous. They may be flying on private jets. They may be wearing thousands of dollars worth of clothes in each one of the suits they put on. They may be staying in multi-million dollar mansions and staying at the finest places, but you wouldn't want to trade places with them for even a second. Because ultimately, there's a fourth characteristic of false teachers, and it's damnation. Damnation. The end of verse 3, Peter says this, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Then the end of verse 3, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. He's going to talk about this more. He already talked about the fact that they are bringing swift destruction upon themselves. But what he wants to remind us is that God is seeing everything. One of the heart cries from the psalmist at times is because it looks like the evil are prospering. And I got to tell you, in my heart, there have been times where Lakeside desperately needed particularly in years gone by, $50,000 and then I watch a false ministry spend millions. It's like, Lord, just send a couple of shekels our way, please. But that's just my foolish heart talking and not trusting the Lord. The reality is this is a picture of a criminal trial and the sentence is already in the books. God's the judge. The judgment upon sin that God promised from the beginning, the wages of sin is death. That Satan lied about, you surely will not die. The beginning of it all, the end of it is true. These false teachers are not getting away with anything. They may look like they're living it up for a while. You take this out of 2,000 years ago and put it in America and they're living the American dream. Sexual freedom, all kinds of money. But the reality is their judgment is already secured. Unless there's some miracle by which they truly repented, which is not likely under the circumstances. Read Hebrews 6.4 for those who truly distort and deceive and are apostates. But God's courtroom, they're guilty. These false teachers will be judged. They will be held to account. It's just a matter of the date of the execution. They already have their sentence. It's interesting because 
We've had this false prophets, false teachers, and God promised this for the false prophets long ago. He told the Israelites, kill the false prophets in Deuteronomy. If, they, if what they say doesn't come true, kill them. But Ezekiel 13.9, for example, and there are many other places, so my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God, putting it in a new covenant context. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing. That's where the false teachers are going. They don't have any place with God's true people. Their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And they will never escape their doom. They are accursed. Galatians 1.9 If they're preaching a different gospel, which these people are, he is to be accursed. That's what's happening. Again, if you just think about Peter writing to a church, he's just trying to tell them, look, be alert. Just as he said in 1 Peter, be on the alert because your adversary the devil is prowling around seeking those he can devour. He's telling us in chat in the second Peter, be on the alert for the emissaries of Satan that are trying to infiltrate the church and destroy you. Be aware that they will deceive you. Be alert. Be aware that they'll try and get you to follow them into immorality. Don't do it. Be alert. They're going to convince you that money is really what it's all about. No. They're going to be judged. I think Matthew 7, 21 to 23 is a fitting in to what Peter is saying. And it's a good reminder to us to take seriously and not to be gullible. Every time we say, hear somebody say they love Jesus... Matthew seven twenty one to 23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The characteristics of those false teachers are there. We need to be aware of it and on the lookout. Please join me in prayer. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for the opportunity we've had to go through these words. Lord, I can't do justice to the depth of the teaching that's here. But I pray in our time together that you've inspired in all of us, including me, some more discernment to be leery. Not to distrust everybody, Lord, but to be a Berean, to examine the scriptures, to see if the things that someone's teaching are so. Lord, I pray for so many that are under false teaching even today. They've attended churches where they're being fleeced by the pastor, where the motivation isn't your glory. The motivation is enriching themselves. Lord, I thank you that nothing escapes your notice, that you see everything and that you will hold everything to account. We don't have to worry about justice. You've got it covered. But Lord, for us, help us be content. Help us be discerning. Help us be patient and help us be faithful as we navigate the world in front of us. We love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. We will see you, Lord willing, next week.